Welcome to another episode of Unapologetically Black. I am your host, E. King, and Just Ice this week is probably on the beach right now. But today we're going to do things a little differently. Today's show is going to be a crossover event with our guests and show hosts, Black Fathers Now. Well, the name of the show, I'm sorry, is Black Fathers Now, but our guest is coming from that <laughs> from that show. And th the reason why we're, we're going to do this, we're going to do this for a couple of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, one, it's always good to connect with other people and it's always good to discuss stuff with other people, especially that are doing similar things that you're doing, as well as we want to talk about black podcasters. And uh, we'll get in we'll get into where all this came from, you know, in the past and this and that. But today's topic is is about black podcasters and podcasting. So our guest today is brother man Mike Dorsey, a.k.a. Uh, Mike D, a.k.a. the creator and host of Black Father. Now, what's up, bro? What's happening, my man? How you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing well. We got all we got all our bells and whistles whistling and belling, so we good right now, bro. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Ding, look, dingling, dinging and whistling, right? You got that right, bro. bro. You got that right. <laughs> so we have that brother Mike D. As I stated, he is a husband, a father, a podcaster, as well as an all-around great guy. He's a great speaker, and so he's going to join us for this crossover event to where we're going to reach both the audience that listen to unapologetically black as well as the audience that that listens to black fathers now so that's right that's right so before we get any further so this is what we do because this show is located in cleveland ohio so what we actually mm -hmm. do we do our resident uh weather report so mike where are you calling us from I am calling you all from Knoxville, Tennessee. I, and I said, you all, I'm from the <laughs> South, man. Because I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to connect. You know I want to say y'all, you dig? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but no, nah, man, I'm calling y'all from Knoxville, Tennessee, man. Okay. Uh, I'm born and raised in Augusta, Georgia, but you know, went to college in Atlanta. But literally, Knoxville has been home since. 2003 so it's kind of getting to the point where i have to start calling it i was gonna say actually uh, yeah it's it getting to that point man it's like I, i'm three years away from being here as long <laughs> as i was in augusta so i got you, know. you. right you got <laughs> hey you you better do that claim what claim it don't play don't That's play it. no games bro don't That's play it. no games don't play no games bro don't That's play no games now <laughs> Also, we like to get the weather because Justice, uh, he, who is located in Miami, he's not on today. So every, periodically, I understand when he misses, you know, a little bit of the show because he got that nice beach down there in Miami, yeah, Florida. So what's your yeah, weather? What's your weather report down there? You know, man, I just, you know what, man, the day that we're recording this, man, this is um, right after like Hurricane Florence kind of kicked a little bit of weather up in our direction. Not a whole lot. So it's uh, it, it was rainy. Now it's sunny, but it's typically high in the, I think, the low to mid 80s. So it's still kind of like late summer weather, yep. but it's actually pretty beautiful right now. Okay. And, you know, Knoxville is one of them places where it never really gets too, too cold and it doesn't stay too, too hot for too long. We kind of kind of right. moderate. You so in other mm -hmm. words, so in other words, you don't get any snow. Now, me and my wife would move. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> me and my wife would move down there. But there, there's one caveat. You can. Uh -oh. We're both licensed professionals in Tennessee. You can't get your license taken away from you if you don't pay your student loans. So. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> and so, just in case, by default, you're like, hold up. Well, not default, but just in case, <laughs> well, contingency. You're like, hold up. Man. I got to keep we my options wanna... open. Yeah, man. <laughs> so we're not moving. We're not moving because. No, <laughs> 
My wife, <laughs> my wife attended uh, Fisk University down in oh, Tennessee. In Nashville, right, okay. right. So she, um, so she is very aware. She keeps saying, you know, I want to go back. I want to go back. So I, I understand it. But until we figure out this law and we get this, we get this student loans in in a manageable uh, location, we gonna uh-huh. be we gonna be right here. <laughs> yeah, that's it. What, what is it? Uh, what was it on Friday? He said, "I'm at where I'm at." And right. I'm like, you, I'm gonna be. you did. <laughs> all right. So we can we could probably do this all day, but we got people oh, that are, we we got people that are responsible. We were responsible for their ears for a little while. So we're gonna go ahead yeah. and get into this. So my brother. So we have. Uh, this thing called unapologetically black to where we talk mm-hmm. about black issues, black things, all things that matter for black. And so for our for our uh, guests, we 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 open it up with two questions and it, we we get a great variety of uh, dialogue based on these two questions. So let's start off with the first question. The first question is, when did you become aware of your blackness? When did I become aware of my blackness? I'm going to tell you what's interesting. Um, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia, and if you're not familiar with the demographics of the city of Augusta, the city of Augusta is basically at the time that I grew up was probably 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. But as we know with most, you know, demographic makeups, that's the general population numbers. But if you come and look at it from a nuanced perspective, most people, and this is across America, are pretty segregated as far as like how they live and where they live. So it might be 50-50 in the city, but 99% of the black people live in one part of the town and 99% of the white people live in another part of the town, right? Mm -hmm. And so where I grew up and went to elementary school was an area of town that was not necessarily the most diverse area of town, right? And so I went to a black church, you know, I, you know, did, you know, black things. We were in Jack and Jill and my parents were in fraternity and sororities and all that stuff. So we did the black stuff, but the school that I went to mm-hmm. was not primarily black. And so when you get around to like February and it's that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that month of the year mm-hmm. and you're the only chocolate face in the class mm-hmm. and, you know, and then the, the typical characters come up, Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, Harriet Tubman, you know, every time something comes up, all eyes turn back to you. Right. 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 And so for me, those things started to become evident when I was in, you know, kind of about third to fourth grade, when I started really paying attention to the fact that everything black did not necessarily relate to the others in the class. Mm -hmm. But especially during the month of February, this stuff turned back and everybody kind of wanted my input or Mm -hmm. what do I think about this? So I felt all eyes on me. As we spoke about, gotcha. you know, issues that related to me. So for me, it was in. Yeah. So that awareness actually came in with school. So although, yes. um, although you did not, you know, germinate in school, um, why do you think that that was generally the time that you became aware of your blackness? Why do I think that was a time? I mean, honestly, because it, it was a very, uh, it was a situation in which things were very isolated and that thing could be put on display. Like Mm -hmm. the elementary school that I mentioned to, literally the breakdown, I was at most one of two Mm -hmm. in a class of 25, you know, each time that I was in a particular grade. And so to that point, it allowed that 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 disparity, so to speak, to really stand out. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, when I was at church, you know, it was all black people around. When Mm -hmm. we were at a a community function, it was all black people, right? Right. Right. Or even in the neighborhood itself, there was always some, 
you know, some different faces around playing the kids coming in from different places to play. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to my classroom, that was when that disparity was pretty much more so on display than than other times. More evident. It was more evident. And so you're, you grew up down South. So I grew up up North and my awareness to, of blackness is vast. I'm pretty sure it would be vastly different. Um, you know what? I don't know that. I don't know that. And I'm just going through an assumption. So down South, discrimination um Mm -hmm. separation do you believe that it took a little bit longer as it relates to that because of um the region of the united states that you were in because it up north it it seems like it hits you like at five at three at two Mm -hmm. what do you think uh you mean as far as like Like when it becomes that down south thing i mean because it's it's, racism is there but it's not in your face up here Mm -hmm. is there and in your face quite often interesting so you so you would say up there it's more in your face than it was down south that's what a lot of times when we when we get our listeners or or when we get some input they feel as though up here they're more combatively race, you know, racist and in the face as it relates to individuals that, um, you know, when they just oppose it to down south, they don't see it in that way. They see it's more wow. subtle. What do you think? Right. It's always it's, it's always good to talk to people. <laughs> That's right. It's very it's very interesting. Like, you know, um, growing up and see, I was born and raised in Georgia. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm 38. And so I remember in the eighth grade was the time in which the Georgia flag transitioned from having the Confederate battle flag to not having that on its actual state flag. I was in the eighth grade when that happened and I wasn't politically astute at the time. So I wasn't all into, you know, people arguing back and forth, but I do remember there were significant conversations and dialogue in regards to that from both sides of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can remember growing up and, you know, when I was in high school and, you know, a lot of the cars in the parking lot had Confederate battle flags on the front, you know, on the mm. front thing. And, you know, and, and but the thing is, it wasn't necessarily thought about that that person hates black people. It was just thought about from the perspective of, you know, that's just what they do down here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so so I, I personally think I mean, it's kind of interesting because I thought you were going to you know, present it in a different way, because mm-hmm. I think that up north or maybe even on the west coast things are a little more covert than Mm. directly in your face Mm. like right you know like even to this day this is 2018 and i'm in knoxville tennessee it's nothing for me to ride down the street and see a big pickup truck with an actual confederate battle flag flying Mm. off the back of the truck waving in the air you know what i'm saying it's it's nothing for me to see that or somebody wearing a big shirt like that or you know that to me is more symbolic of being kind of in your face, letting you know where I stand versus, okay. Okay. you know, I, I see, I see who, what you're talking about. And you see what I'm saying? yeah, it, but up, up North, because we don't have that secondary backup, you know, because you can say, mm-hmm. I'm not a racist. I just want to, you know, support the South or whatever have you. Mm-hmm. Since we don't have that, um, I can see, I, I, I see that point. Um, if we look at it from the standpoint of direct visual, you're right. You're right. We don't have a mm-hmm. lot of direct visual unless we have a person up north or in Cleveland that wants to put up the American, the uh, 
the flag, the Confederate flag. Now, what we do have, we there's a joke that, you know, pay attention to the amount of American flags that are flying in your neighborhood. And that mm-hmm. t- that gives you, especially if you if you live in a mixed race or a predominantly white neighborhood, the American mm. flag and the we have a lot of police oriented flags in Cleveland, Ohio. So that, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that would be our symbol. But yes, I, I would have to agree. There's no direct symbol that states that, you know, one plus one equals racist. <laughs> You're right. We mm-hmm. don't. We definitely don't have that. And gotcha. yeah, we have we have different measures. Now, with that said, um, so that awareness came. You know, you had that awareness in school. How mm-hmm. how do you believe that affect your self identity and the way that you viewed self? Yeah, you know, I think it uh, it plays a lot into who you are, and I think that kind of lends itself to really understanding the power of the home mm-hmm. and the power of how. You know, especially black kids, you know, we this is unapologetically black, the podcast, yep. especially black kids need social proof and social validation of their relevance in society. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and I use this periodically when I talk to different individuals, that there is an overlooked population of African-Americans or people of African descent in America. And that to me is kind of the suburban black kid. Because say, think about this. Okay, hmm? okay. Well, say that again, say that again. In your, yeah. say, say it one more time. Say it again oh, so yeah. it can be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, There, there is a segment of the population, there's a segment of the black or the African-American or the people of African descent. There's a segment of the population, in my opinion, that tends to get overlooked mm-hmm. when it comes to having those social cues or those uh, social gotcha. validation points gotcha. to kind of help us to grow and you know, uh, see ourselves represented across the board. And that is the suburban or the non-urban dwelling mm-hmm. African-American, right? Okay. So, because think about this, if there is a program or if there's a system or if there's something that's targeted towards the African-American demographic, where are they going to present that program? Mm. Where the where the black people live, right, right? In the urban areas, right. As in they the quote, unquote, quote unquote, urban that's areas. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right, the quote unquote urban areas. But the thing is, those those individuals in those particular settings get a lot of the services, get a lot of the representation. Everybody who wants to bring something brings it there. Mm-hmm. But then there's the brother who goes, who's one of 20 that goes to this school, and they're the only 20 people of African descent that go to this school. They get bypassed by mm-hmm. all of those particular opportunities. And because of the neighborhood they may live in or because of the school they may go to, it may be even less social proof or social validation of their importance in society because they don't see themselves represented 24-7. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Right. And, and, and I even add to that because, you know, I went to Georgia Tech. And one of the things that I used to think about was when in my, I started off in engineering, but that was not my cup of tea, you know. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> that's another conversation. Right, that's but, a whole other one. <laughs> whole other one. But one of the things that would get me was like, if a company was coming to recruit, you know, black engineers or, you know, recruit blacks to come and work in their particular organization, right. they probably were not coming to Georgia Tech. They were gonna go to FAMU or North Carolina A&T. You're gonna, you're gonna go to the well to bring in what you're looking for from mm-hmm. a demographic perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes when we focus on stuff in our community, we tend to overlook this population who on the surface might seem or appear to have it all together because maybe they're coming from a place of not necessarily socioeconomic deprivation, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But they still need social proof and opportunities to connect because some of those people or some of those brothers and sisters like myself mm-hmm. are searching or seeking 
to to see themselves represented. So, so we have to do a good job of that at home and within right. our communities as well. So that time to so when we when we bring all that together and we tie it into how you viewed or how you got how your awareness affected your identity, you would mm-hmm. you would say it had more to do with what was at your you had access to or you you felt as if there wasn't once you were aware of this identity you you felt the only place that you can connect with it was at home based on where you were going to school at well yes well not the only place i could connect it like i was saying i had a a unique situation in which you know my my folks were intentional in regards to you know having us involved in jack and jill having us involved Mm -hmm. in the church you know, having us in top teams of America and, mm-hmm. you know, all every program that came, <laughs> my mama right. had us in it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So we had that infusion of who we were mm-hmm. and we also had social proof within the family of possibilities. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of kids who are my contemporaries whose parents were not that intentional in regards gotcha. to, gotcha. you know, putting those things in there that will suffer or have suffered from some type of identity Okay. understand you know like an identity crisis yeah, so to yeah. speak of understanding who you were so let me yeah, put, let, let me push back on something before we hit to our first okay. break let me push back on something so you were saying jack and jill so when i i didn't understand or knew of jack and jill until maybe into my 20s now because mm-hmm. i didn't have that type i had intentional blackness uh mm-hmm. brought upon me but i didn't have that that form of blackness now move that forward how Jack and Jill and whatnot was introduced to me, it was more of an elite blackness and to where there was Mm -hmm. a separation of the urban black with the more elite black that also caused division within that identity. Can can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. I I forgot the author's name, but there's this book called Our Kind of People, Mm -hmm. right? In which our kind of, I think it's Lawrence Welk. I I forgot the guy's name. Okay. our kind of people basically dives into, you know, just like the the black elite social status, right? And so it talks about the, you know, the Greek fraternities and sororities. It talks about the boule. It talks about, you know, things like Jack and Jill and the Lynx and all these different organizations that were in essence helping or, or and put in place to give social opportunities to kind of like the talented tenth of... Right you know, the black population. Right. And so a thing like Jack and Jill, and, and again, I didn't grow up wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those things where we had exposure to Jack and Jill, but then I was also able to go to this thing called NYSP, National Youth Sports Program, which was basically a free, you know, program for sports for socioeconomically deprived gotcha. kids. So gotcha. I would go to Jack and Jill meeting on Saturday and then be back to NYSP on Monday, you know, during the summers, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it was. I had that that exposure to both right. sides of it. But I think to your point, the institution or the initiation of something like Jack and Jill was designed for the, the socially elite mm-hmm. or the social elite of the black population. Separation. But mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I think to an extent, it was a little bit of separation. And I think it did play into the whole mindset of the talented 10th or, mm-hmm. you know, we have to train these few that are going to be the leaders of society Mm -hmm. but the other part of it was there were some social things that were introduced to us Mm -hmm. that could benefit everyone and and i and i think it's also just like real estate is local chapter by chapter or uh with jack and jill 
it's the same thing as well. I think you do have some chapters probably that are a little more hoity-toity than others. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> let's and be so, real. I mean, that's, that's, right. That's just being real about right. It. Let's be real. And it helped. Yeah. And it, along with that, it also helped. I'm, and, you know, we haven't struggled within our community of the crab mentality. And quite mm-hmm. often, like I said, when that was introduced to me, it in my being, what I felt is, oh, that play, you know, that was like, okay, so we got, so we just, we're talking about a crab mentality. So mm-hmm. we don't, we, that's, that can be a whole nother podcast. We're not going to get into mm-hmm. that one, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what I want to do, let me go ahead and take that first break on the other side. We're going to get, we're going to get into the meat of this. We're going to okay. um, get into the topics of once again, black podcasters. You know, this is, this is something that's coming up and we're going to talk a little bit more on the other side. So you're listening to unapologetically black. Yo. Oh, welcome back, Unapologetically Black. I'm your host, E. King. My co-host, Just Ice, is probably on the beach sipping a little bit. What you do, what you do. So uh, <laughs> this is Just Solo. But today we have this crossover event with Brother Mike D. Brother Mike D is the creator of Black Fathers Now. And so what we, we're doing is this collectivist thing. This collectivist thing and bringing unapologetically black people connecting with black fathers now people and so we're going to bring that together but today's topic is goes directly to what we um what we are doing today which is that black podcasters which um is is something interesting because back in the day you know uh during the great migration or even before post-slavery we had we had historically black media like uh the defender and some of you know calling posts up here in cleveland and some of the other uh media outlets that brought or educated black people on what was going on throughout the black united states diaspora so when we get when we now we have this new thing called media we have this new mm-hmm. thing called podcasting. And so if you do a search for black podcasters, um, just do a regular old search. You bring up Coast, which was an extraordinary podcast. The Nod, which is one. The Black Tapes. As well as you'll come up with a list of 23 black podcasts you should add to your playlist. As well as uh, 16 black hosts, smart, funny podcasts of 2017. Which I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm going to get there. But... <laughs> We, but we gonna. This is what we're talking about. It's getting the information out to the people, and when and I don't have my co-host here to actually um, refute this. But when I decided, you know, and I went to him and I said, "Hey, I want to do a podcast," and I gave him the name, and you know, he told me he asked me what was the point. You know, he. In other words, what's the point of doing this? Because we have so many, and so when I, Mike, when you decided to go ahead and do your podcast, cause you have two of them, um, mm-hmm. or you had to, you know, this is your second mm-hmm. one. What did you encounter when you decided you know, to do this? You, you know, I mean, initially, because I, um, I launched my first podcast back in 2015 and that was called the fit urban life show. Mm-hmm. And to be completely honest, you know, I was just looking for another way to create content in a way that um, allowed me to, you know, share some of the things that I've learned, you know, interview folks and and share various journeys. But then I was also doing that in conjunction with the launch of my first book, which was called, you know, Abe, Always Be Engaged, The Seven Keys to Living a Fit Urban Life. And so I created what was called the Fit Urban Life Show. And I interviewed people who kind of fell in line with one of the seven keys listed in the book of, you know, living a fit urban life. And so the thing is, it was interesting, you know, in 2015, podcasting had started to pop pretty well Mm -hmm. you know it has and and even now it still has not reached critical mass so to speak Mm -hmm. you know as as popular as they are as 
fast growing and it seemed like it's a new podcast popping up every two seconds, right. you know, in a day, um, it still has not reached critical mass. I forgot what the numbers were, but I heard something not long ago where it's only like 15% of the population has listened to a podcast mm-hmm. in the last month, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. I mean, so it's, it's one of those, it, it's like, it's like looking at e-commerce, right? right? When we think e-commerce is everything, but I think only 9% of all purchases in the U S are due to e-commerce. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, exactly. So, so, I, so starting off the podcast, it was new. Yes, it was popular, but it was also challenging because, you know, the barrier to entry or so and a barrier that I thought was a, what I thought was a barrier to entry really was not, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's even easier now to get started. So a saturation and, uh, was that was the thing is what you were saying, or the barrier to entry was technology. What was to be more yeah, specific? Yeah, to be more specific, like I well, and this this was a perceived barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. See, I thought that it was a whole lot more involved to get this thing going and get it launched and get mm-hmm. a media host and do all of that. But in all honesty, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I had this perceived barrier to entry based on my thoughts of what regular or terrestrial radio looked like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you have to have this big studio with all these boards and pay all this money. And the thing is, podcasting kind of democratized the whole business of radio mm-hmm. in the sense that now you have a digital format that is available on demand for your listeners to access on demand at any time they want. Now, and so, um, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. What you were saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and so to that point, it was like, that was appealing to me because I also understood at two in 2015, when I first launched, you know, the fit urban life show mm-hmm. that, you know, this was a time in which people's time became more and more valuable. And so to mm-hmm. that point, you needed to have resources that they, you know, that was the, you know, the emergence of all the DVRs and, and everything. Nobody watches anything when it comes on, mm-hmm. they do it at their leisure. On and so mm-hmm. that's right. And so if you wanted to create something, whether it be audio, video, whatever, you wanted to create it in a format that people listen to at their leisure, mm-hmm. if you want them to actually get the information. Right. There. And so podcasting to me just became the, the, the thing that fell into my target line in regards to something that I needed to do. Right. So, so if we, if we go back a little bit, cause we know content, okay. content is golden, right? Because yes. Th- yes. those that control the content controls the minds. And that's what, that's what individuals that, you know, had the Sentinel, the, the defender, the Afro, the mm-hmm. Afro American newspapers, the Los Angeles Sentinel. you know, a lot of, a lot of the newspapers post, uh, post-slavery, not even, you know, during Jim Crow was there for content and they were, they were content in order for individuals to get. Now, the, the crazy part about it is a lot of the content or the newspapers had benign names. So mm-hmm. when, you know, the Sentinel, is that a black, the Defender, is that black, you know, Afro American is something, but a lot of them, you know, the Jackson, the Jackson Advocate, the Metro Herald, these are all historical or current black newspapers the names are benign when i chose unapologetically black i got a ton of pushback because Mm. for one no one wants to talk about black and for two Mm. for two why do i have to say that i'm unapologetic i just am and i said the name matters because that's how you draw people in your name of your podcast is black Mm. fathers now what pushback did you get because of that or if you got any I'll tell you, it's interesting, and I'm glad you asked that because, and that 
basically was the transition from the Fit Urban Life Show to Black Fathers Now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I realized with the Fit Urban Life Show was it was too general. You know, we were talking about everything. I was interviewing guys and girls and entrepreneurs and people about travel. And Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. just all over the place. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I came to realize is that most of the time when people are coming to listen to a show, unless you're a celebrity, like when you're a bona fide celebrity, People want to come and hear what you have to say. They're not coming there for specific content. If you're not a bona fide celebrity, people come to you for specific content. Mm -hmm. I realized that I needed to narrow my focus and um, and really understand what it is I'm trying to truly impact and where I'm looking to add value to society. And when I did a a deep dive and I actually um, had a consulting call with a guy who really helped me to kind of refine my thought process and refine my focus and really understand where, where I'm truly driven or what's my true calling or my true, um, you know, my, my true intention or my true interest. Gotcha. And it literally rolled back around to fatherhood and specifically black fatherhood. And there's this quote that uh, it's a guy who's in podcasting. He's not a black dude, but mm-hmm. he has a podcast called uh, Entrepreneur on Fire. It's a guy named John Lee Dumas. And he used to use this quote called he used, used to use this quote and he said, the riches are in the niches. Mm-hmm. And that always mm-hmm. kind of stuck with me in a sense that true. you need to na- narrow mm-hmm. your focus down and be okay specifically targeting something and being you know, focused on what that is. And for me, I chose Black Fatherhood, and I chose the title Black Fathers Now because I wanted to present information, present wisdom, insight, share the journey of various brothers, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to share it from the perspective of what takeaway can you have and apply to your life right now and what was that push? That, did you get any pushback though that's so that's the key know, because we we yeah. have this we have this ideal black black mm-hmm. is uh, right now i'm wearing a shirt to where it says black power doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't mean anti isn't anti anti-white when you say mm-hmm. black in america because remember we're mm-hmm. coming from a standpoint of americans we can't really talk about venezuela mm-hmm. we can't talk about anywhere else right. at least i can't we're talking about black black in america has a has a negative pushback from not only white people or non-blacks mm-hmm. but also our own people mm-hmm. did you get any pushback on on on, on yeah. your on this thing that you call black fathers now Yes. Yeah. And I got, I got a little bit on the front end and some people specifically asked me, well, why isn't it just like just fathers now or, you know, something that relates to all fathers. And I went back to the notion of, you know, first off, I am a black father and I'm specifically talking in a tone that relates to black fathers. And the analogy that I gave and I've given this on a couple of interviews that I've done with uh, various platforms is that when I it's like you think about music, you know, hip hop might use examples, terminology, and uh, the type of beats or whatnot Mm -hmm. that relate to and speak to a particular demographic. Mm -hmm. Though, Mm -hmm. if you look at the numbers, 70% of the people who buy hip-hop music don't look like that demographic they're speaking to, right? Mm -hmm. If If you take a look at country music, country music might be very well orchestrated and you know have all these different i'm not a musician so right it's okay i got you yeah yeah but but the thing is they will use tones and they'll use uh various examples that might connect to rural america or middle america that Mm -hmm. a lot of us can't jive with but there are some people who don't live in middle middle america that love country music exactly and so it's all about the tone that you're using Mm -hmm. and the specific voice that you're using because Mm -hmm. and so for me Black fathers now, and I, it's, it's interesting. I get feedback, and, and yeah, I get feedback from people all across, you know, various genres and cultures and races and backgrounds. 
and you know it's white guys and white women and black women and whatever that all listen to black fathers now Mm -hmm. and they can gain something from it but they know that i'm just speaking in a tone that's Mm -hmm. talking directly to black men and um but the thing is concepts can transcend genre and they can transcend Mm -hmm. circumstance so So, if you're talking about something that matters mm -hmm. it can transcend it so go back um a little bit um Mm -hmm. Well, no, not go back because we really didn't touch on this. A lot of times um, as it relate to content. So there Mm -hmm. were newspapers or avenues by which black individuals got content over these years that spoke specifically towards to black people. But the problem that we often found was the uh, what were they were irresponsible in the information that they send out Mm. quite quite often um, or, you know, something that bothers me. Um, or as I'm doing this show is I want to make sure the content that I'm that I'm putting out is responsible or ethical content or do you Mm. do you uh, any of that come up for you man I'm gonna tell you um, I'm a person that honestly my whole my whole job in life is to lead with love right and so and I don't believe that I have to tear anybody else down to build something up Mm -hmm. and so Sometimes we spend time restating the obvious. And I think there are people in our society that have the role of, look, you are the whistleblower. Your job is to have a microphone and to broadcast what's going on. I personally do not believe that that is my particular role in the growth of our people. My role is to help to understand potential solutions, to find brothers and connect them to those particular solutions, but then to also share various processes and maybe even break them down and explain them in a way that we as black folks can understand it and take something away and go and do something with it. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so for me personally, it's like um, I'm very conscious on making sure that the stuff that I put out there focuses on building and growth. Mm-hmm. Like it's all the, even the title of my podcast is Black Fathers Now. You know, I have a new book out called Dynamic Black Fatherhood Manifesto. This is all geared towards black men but mm-hmm. the whole core the whole theme of everything is personal development okay. it's all about you becoming the best version of yourself and if we and the thing is people don't realize when you think about energy if you spend the vast majority of your time angry you spend the vast majority of your time focusing on what's wrong what's negative what ain't this what ain't that you don't have enough energy left to then go and build okay. so i know personally i have to restrict my inputs when it comes to some of the stuff, because then I'll get so angry that I'm no longer in a position in which I can build and go help and grow. Right. You see what I'm saying? I do. So, I do. Yeah, I'm, in a, I'm in the same boat. So I'm, I'm very conscious of what I put out there. OK. And how do because you said something that was really intricate. Um, how do we two things? One not necessarily just speak to the choir or or just not speak to obvious, because quite often you know, you if you listen to a lot of these podcasts, they're actually we're they're angry, they're mm-hmm. repetitive, they're mm-hmm. a lot of that. How how do we as black podcasters, if we want to be not necessarily re- relevant, but we want to make sure that we're offering out content that is not just preaching to the choir, but is also not just stating the obvious? How do you get through that? Um, I- I'm gonna tell you, it's um, first off, I believe the truth is undefeated. We just have to be patient enough for it to play out. Right. right? And so, yes, there are folks that lead with controversy or they lead with a headline and that gets more clicks Mm -hmm. and people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. But if you notice, 
after that media cycle runs, who's still talking about it afterwards? Right. Whereas you and I put out some thought-provoking content that could potentially help to change someone's life, mm -hmm. change their way of thinking, which when you change someone's thinking, that has a potential to change their mm -hmm. family for generations to come. Yes, it might not be a million shares on Facebook, and I might not be called by every major news outlet right. to give my thoughts on a post, mm -hmm. but there are five families that are forever changed by this interview that I did with this brother who shares his story, mm -hmm. and it allows them to think about stuff differently. So 200 years from now, this family or that family has changed mm -hmm. due to the information. And I have to find solace and joy in that versus how many shares, likes, or mm -hmm. you know what got reposted or retweeted or which became the top of the media funnel for you know the cycle that's popping at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so I think we also have to take a step back and realize what it is we're looking to do. Like for me, it's sustained change. Like I really want generations to change. I want lives to change based on the information, the resources, the insight, and then the sharing of the journey of various brothers who have who are doing positive things out here in the world. Gotcha. That's that's the thing. That's where I find my joy. Okay. And so I keep just opposing this to um, before we get to our, our second break. Um, I just okay. I keep just opposing this to black uh, black newspapers, you know, during the 1920s, all the way up, you mm -hmm. know, the Great Migration, all the way up and even to now, because I feel as though in some ways we're doing similar work. Um, they mm -hmm. were trying to get out information of where to connect, how to how to survive, how to how to con how to help the diaspora. Because in my in my opinion, that's what unapologetically black is not only to you know put out content about black, but also connect individuals to educate and to move forward. Now, as far mm -hmm. as the distribution. Um, Black papers had a struggle with distribution. Um, yep. People in, in in Detroit couldn't necessarily get to people in Florida, couldn't necessarily get to the pe people on the West Coast. What, what, are you, what are you finding is the most barrier to you putting out your content to everybody? Well, I'm going to be completely honest. It, go, it goes back to just the, the microphone and, and the, the impact. And okay. so, you know, when we take a step back and we realize, you know, we're putting good stuff out there and we're putting out stuff that is there and is designed to impact folks and the feedback that you've gotten from the folks that have listened to it, that have interacted with it are like, yo, this is some life changing stuff, man. When you get that, mm -hmm. your first thought is how do I then get more people to experience that? Right. And so the, the beauty of the time that we live in is that basically it's no longer, we have to get a newspaper from a physical location to there. Mm -hmm. We have technology, which basically unlocks that. Now, okay. there are some things that we have to work on on the back end to help increase that distribution and to get increase that visibility. Mm -hmm. But we have the resources there. We just have to, as black folks specifically, need to properly learn how to utilize those so that we can maximize the distribution and maximize our impact so that we then are on par with you know, some of the other major outlets with humongous microphones and big infrastructure okay. because okay. we got we got the content. You dig? Okay. I dig it. I dig it. So we're going to go ahead and on that next break and we're going to have a little treat for our listeners. But before we get out, the, the, I, I always like to make sure that the listeners know exactly what we we were talking about. If you do a search for the book, the book is called Our Kind of People. And that book is by Lawrence Otis Graham. Also, the papers that I were I was mentioning, if you just do a simple search for a list of black newspaper or historical black newspapers you'll see all the newspapers that are associated quote unquote as black now there are some newspapers that choose not to 
who are speaking to the black people but not indicate they are for whatever reason just like there are podcasts that are speaking directly to black people but don't indicate them for whatever reason so we're going to go ahead and head out on our break and then once we come back we're going to get we're going to get back into it so you're listening to unapologetically black welcome back to unapologetically black i am e king our uh, my co-host, I should say, is Just Ice, and he is on the beach chilling right now. But what we do have is the host of Black Fathers Now, and Mike D is going to, we're going to have, like I said, we had this crossover. Mike D is going to take the helm. I am now the guest, and Brother Mike, you have the helm, and your your listeners are there. Welcome to the, welcome to the host. <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate you that E. King, man. I appreciate you, brother. Man, and you know you know what's interesting, man? We've been having this really dynamic conversation, and um, this is actually the first time with Black Fathers Now we've ever done kind of like this whole crossover thing where we're just going back and forth in the same podcast that both of us are going to release on our own platform. So mm-hmm. this was really dynamic and dope, man. I really... You know, I appreciate you thinking about this idea, my man. I no, appreciate you hey, thinking about it. Hey, man. Hey, anything to get that content <laughs> out, right? We got to connect. You, we got to collaborate, right? <laughs> what you talking about, man? What you talking about? And, and so, and so, we were just, you know, we before the the last break, we were just mm-hmm. talking about just the whole concept of content creation, and you know, then the whole notion of doing it from a black perspective, and you know. When you think about like, because you're a dad like I am, yes. right? I mean, yes. I have a podcast, you know, this podcast is called Black Fathers Now. And one of the things that I think about in regards to creating content and putting things out there is I think about it from the perspective that the stuff that we put out there digitally mm-hmm. is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's always going to be there. So 20 years from now, when my son or my daughter, you know, pulls up, Oh, my dad used to do this podcast, or maybe I'm still doing it at the time, mm-hmm. but my dad used to do this podcast, Black Fathers Now. Let me see what he was talking about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. That stuff is going to be there. You as a father, with the content that you're creating, when you think about your podcast, what you post on social media, knowing that at some point your children will have access to that, mm-hmm. how does that impact the stuff that you put out there? Right. So let me first give a shout out to my wife, Joy King. Um, that is my wife, as well as I have a 19-year-old son, Christian uh, King, Smith King, as well as middle child, Eric Jr. And he is, how old is he? Nine. And then we got a six-year-old who is uh, Katie Boo. So to wow. go, to, right. So I've been a father. <laughs> I've been a father for a very long time. I've been a father long enough. I've actually been a husband. My oldest wow. son is by my uh, college sweetheart and we just didn't work out. So, you know, you move forward. But as a father, we are a collective family. You know, it's, it's not just, you know, baby mom. I've never used that term collective. So because I've, I've never actually used a pejorative or negative term as it relates to uh, fatherhood or me being a father, any content I send out as a father needs to be responsible. And so earlier I was talking about um, responsible content or whatever have you. I'm responsible for this thing that I call unapologetically black. And so by being responsible for that, I'm responsible for my kids and any image that my kids would want to go back and listen to me. Um, for so the, anything that I say in the house is the same thing that I would say on this podcast, and I'm responsible about the things that I say in the house. That means I'm responsible about the stuff that I speak on this podcast, and we do talk about um, we do talk about some heavy hitting things, you know. But it is a avenue of responsibility, 
So I treat mm. it with the exact same amount of thought, cognition, and heart um, as I would, you know, talking directly to my kids. So I treat this thing called podcasting the same. That is, you know, that that's interesting um, because, you know, earlier in the interview today when we were, you know, primarily when you were leading the interview itself, you know, you mentioned some other podcasts and um, one of the ones that you mentioned was Code Switch. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if you're a brother or sister listening and you're under the age of 50, you know what Code Switch means. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we stop and we think about the concept of code switching, most of the time it's in reference to black people having yep. to switch on and off mm -hmm. as we enter non-black or professional environments, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But you just mentioned something that highlights consistency mm -hmm. from what you say on your podcast, what you put out on social media, what you say at home and what is viewed about you out in public. Mm -hmm. There's a consistency there. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that brothers especially fathers because you know my the title of my podcast is black fathers now mm -hmm. do you think that a lot of fathers code switch not in a sense that we're talking about from home to the job mm -hmm. but do we code switch from the perspective of home out in public or what mm -hmm. we put on social media yeah. in regards yeah. to just our family like not letting our kids see yeah. you know yeah. this side of us mm -hmm. how does that come into play in, in, I, your, in your eyes i think it's a problem um, mm -hmm. Because there's a I, I am a licensed professional uh, clinical counselor. So this is okay. my hobby. These are the things, you know, I love doing this. Um, and I, I find that the, the word hypocrisy as it relates to parent child is something that helps to perpetuate certain aspect of a parent child relationship. And so there are times um, that I have to remember that if I'm not going to ask my child to be a, a hypocrite, that means in turn, I can't be a hypocrite. That means anything that I post or mm. anything that I put out on, on the air, I have to be able to stand by it. And so I'm not going to go through the parental code switching, which is cleaning it up because Boo Boo and, and TT and Hennessy may go out and use it into the world. That means I need to be responsible. Let me give you a quick story as it relates to fatherhood. As, okay. it as it relate to hypocrisy. So my oldest child, we were riding in the car. He had to be about five or six riding in the car. And so he had had a lecture about um, he was in booster seat and whatever. He had had a lecture about um, putting on his seatbelt. And okay. so we just so happened we had left some somewhere. We were heading back to the house. He was in the back seat. And he said, Dad. And I said, well, you know, what's up? What's up, Doc? He said, um, why don't you know, you tell me all the time to wear my seatbelt but how come you don't wear your seatbelt? Mm. And I looked in the rearview mirror and I looked down at myself and I put my seatbelt on. I said, you're right, son. You're right. Thank you. Mm. And ever mm. since then, I've never gotten to the car, a car, any car without first uh, buckling my seatbelt. Now I could have said, the old adage of what my parents or what I grew up in a single parent household. Say, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so I could have did that, but I chose to take responsibility and not appear to be a hypocrite with that one. And, and I mm. hope that I haven't been a hypocrite period, but just because I'm a parent, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to stop listening and learning from the people that are under me. Mm. Dude, you, you said something there and fellas, I hope you are paying attention to that. Um, we can't be hypocrites, but we have to exude some level of consistency, 
as it pertains to mm-hmm. how we operate. There's a poem by Langston Hughes called Live Your Creed. Mm-hmm. And Live Your Creed starts off with, I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Mm-hmm. But the last stanza of Live Your Creed states, for I may misunderstand you and the fine advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Right. 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 And so to that point, we can say it, but we got to back it up. Right. We got to live it because um, to your point, and, and this, and this kind of goes into our earlier conversation about podcasting because podcasting is a form of technology. Mm-hmm. And we briefly touched on like social media and posting and doing things like that with today's technology. Mm-hmm. There is in in the fact that everybody has cameras and everybody has a record of everything and, you know, all of that. There is no way to hide anymore. Nope. Right. So it used to be I mean, I'm 38. And so I grew up where basically the last basically half of my life, you know, has been kind of tech infused, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But the first half, it was, you know, we didn't have tech, you know, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have you know, social media and the internet and all that stuff at, you know, at our disposal Mm -hmm. and the generation before us, which is our parents' generation, they had none of that. They had even less. (laughs) They had even less. Right. And so to that point, the only thing that you knew about your parents from back in the day was what they told you Mm -hmm. or what somebody else told you about them. Mm -hmm. And then there, you don't even know what was true because you had no confirmation. Because you know they weren't going to tell the truth. And what's interesting yeah. about that, when you when you link that aspect of social media, there was a movie mm-hmm. that we watched. Uh, yes, my son read all of the Diary of the Wimpy Kid books. And so it okay. was just so happened the latest movie was on TV. And so before they went to bed, they were like, hey, can we watch it? Can we watch it? So it was called Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul. Now, this part mm-hmm. didn't hit me until I was driving in here this morning uh, to do the morning radio show. So the basis of it is the main character who, you know, struggles with some internal things. He did something at a Chuck E. Cheese type spot that went viral. And so everybody, you know, they put it on, they posted every. And so the movie goes around him hiding from that, wanting to get rid of that viral aspect. Now, me watching it and laughing, it was it was funny. But what I forgot or not that I forgot that I need to come back to with this movie is, hey, that was funny. And that was the main aspect of the movie. But do you see how you need to be responsible with your actions in this day and era? So as a father, whether I'm, I'm talking to my 19 year old or my six year old and even myself, I'm saying you need to. To be responsible because something as benign as you know whatever happened within that movie you know took on his life of his own and just remember you everybody has a camera and those things yes. that are benign you don't want you want to be responsible you know for that yes 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 and more yes and so <laughs> fell, I'm, I'm serious but but the thing that's interesting about it i wonder because of that is that going to change how we parent as generations to, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily just our generation, but my kids and your kids as they mm-hmm. become older and have families of their own. And then our grandkids and our great grands, as things change, will that impact how they parent in the sense that you remember the movie eight miles? It should. Right? Yeah. Eight yeah. I remember. Okay. Eight Mile. Mm-hmm. So you remember the end of eight mile mm-hmm. when Eminem's character in essence, mm-hmm. you know, his, his last battle was, I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong about me and I'm going to throw the mic to you and say, now tell them something they don't right. already know about. Yeah. Right? And, that, and that's, and I, that's where we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and, and that, the reason I was kind of mentioning that was, I think, I wonder if that will be more so the, the, the new model or methodology mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. parenting 
because kids are going to be able to be like, yeah, dad, so what did you do when you were 16? Right, right, right. And he can say, like, yeah, man, I did this, I did that. He'd be like, dad, I just pulled it up. Yeah. You wasn't nothing. Yeah. You ain't do this. Yeah. You ain't do all this. <laughs> What's crazy is that I wouldn't be, you know, I, I'm quoting, I quote unquote, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in life. There was other things, but I would not have been as successful as I am right now if mm -hmm. we had Twitter, Facebook, and whatever when I was oh, in college. Lord have mercy. Oh, <laughs> so, man, I would tell you, I thank the Lord that there was no Twitter, no Facebook, no Instagram. All we had in college was Black Planet right. and AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> that was it. And nobody so, had a cell phone right, camera. Right, <laughs> we definitely didn't. So to go back to your point, to go back to your point about new parenting and, and how you're going to parent, I think it's, um, I don't far as when there's new media or new content or new ways that people get from their eyeballs into their brains, I think uh, a lot of stuff as it relates to uh, TV as growing up. I, mm -hmm. I was a TV, TV baby, but what it was also impressed upon is that the things that you see on TV is not reality. And so mm -hmm. that was that was impressed upon me and, and some things that I had to make sure that I, I pay attention to. And we got about two more minutes and I'm really enjoying this discussion. <laughs> oh, man, me too, man. Me too. I'm man. Really, I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this this discussion. But, yeah, this, you know, con, you know, it all relates to content and how you parent. You have to be you have to parent earnestly. You can't no laziness anymore because it's getting it's getting worse, man. It's getting worse. So, man, this has been so much fun. <laughs> this has been this has been awesome, man. And, and literally, man, for the brothers that are listening to Black Fathers now mm -hmm. and they're tuning in and hearing unapolog unapologetically black for the first time, what's the best way for them to oh, connect yeah. with you? Yeah, so just like with you, they can go to um, they go to Facebook and go to Unapologetically Black. They can find us on Stitcher, uh, iTunes, uh, Apple. They can get all that. They, and there you mm -hmm. can leave reviews and everything. And so just like you, bruh, so mm -hmm. to all our unapologetically black listeners, where can we find you? Most definitely, man. You can catch me at blackfathersnow.com. You can catch me at uh, IamMikeDorsey.com. But you can also go to anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can check it out. And I also would encourage everybody listening to grab a copy of my book, uh, Dynamic Black Fatherhood Manifesto. It's 10 commitments that celebrates excellence in life fatherhood and the celebration of dynamic black men nice. dynamic black fatherhood manifesto all right bro so we gotta get we it's about that time for us to get up out of here this is unapologetically black and black fathers now is all available on stitcher apple spotify google and everything that brother mike just said i really appreciate you coming out and doing this crossover event with us we, we're gonna have to do it again my man and we we're gonna have going to have we're gonna have to encourage other other black podcasters to collaborate and do a crossover as well so i am your host e king my co-host just ice is not with us right now but uh i know that he's he's sipping in my ties on that beach in miami so i want to make sure that i say that our intro music is black republican by Nas featuring jay-z and our theme music at times is sorry by comfort fit on their forget me forget and remember album remember join us next week for another episode of unapologetically black and subscribe to black fathers now on any place that you're listening to us and me right now thank you for listening peace holla back <laughs>